Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we will be getting into the Mavericks' losses to the Memphis Grizzlies. We just covered the San Antonio Spurs game, but more so specifically in this one, yes, we'll be kind of glossing over the losses to the Grizzlies, but how significant they were um, in a sense of how season-defining they could potentially be. The Mavericks obviously kept their hopes alive with this recent Spurs game. And, you know, they, they're back up to 500 with the Lakers and Timberwolves lost. They they move up to eighth in the Western Conference after being at ninth for a brief period of time the other night. Uh, but these Memphis Grizzlies games definitely uh, put the Mavericks in a tough position. We're going to be looking a lot more big picture in this one, just looking at what could potentially ensue as the Mavericks do have 12 games left. Yes, that Spurs game did help a lot, but it was by no means a cure-all, especially with Kyrie and Luka potentially missing more games down the stretch. So we'll be getting into all of that. Of course, the Mavericks in that first game versus the Grizzlies had a clutch time loss that they suffered uh, in a game where David Roddy, well, actually in both games, David Roddy just decided to evolve into almost uh, younger Dylan Brooks because Dylan Brooks now is like just this arrogant four for 13 shooting uh, (laughs) stat line every game who, you know, pretends to, you know, he, he plays good defense, and, you know, he, I think he just took a little bit too much stock into his offensive creation ability compared to when he was this sort of guy who could, um, you know, just do a little bit of playmaking and act as a 3-and-D player. And, you know, he even said in a recent interview that he wanted to be Draymond Green. But, yeah, in 2016, I think. Yeah, in 2016 when he was with – or not a recent interview, but an interview a few years ago when he was with the Oregon Ducks, and now he is butting heads with Draymond, and there's that, that whole saga – he made like two threes after a bad shooting night in that latter game against the Mavericks and he was blowing kisses to the crowd. So his head is very far up his ass and uh, I think he could be playing his role a little bit better, but that's more of a, a personal gripe more so than anything. Nonetheless, the Mavericks lost that first game um, 108 to 112 uh, with some good play from David Roddy down the stretch. They lost that second game a lot more decisively and handily where the Grizzlies beat them 104 to 88. So we will be getting into both of those two games and how they could affect the Mavericks as they, you know, go down the stretch of the season here. You know, the Mavericks have obviously having lost nine out of their last 13 after that Spurs game, uh, just kind of in a huge state of disarray. You know, I, I know that Spurs game sort of, sort of remediated some of the woes, but it definitely didn't remediate any of the issues with this team as we can, they continue to, lose you know in these these weird sort of um just very debilitating ways time and time again and i know luca and Kyrie were out you know with their respected injuries but we'll be getting into how that affects things of course too just with how much time they may miss and how much the mavericks can afford for them to recover and just you know the call to action for the mavericks role players to step up as we head down the stretch here and you know, maybe even divulge into a little bit of off-season talk, not necessarily what the Mavericks are going to do, but just just what my what could ensue as we we approach that time. Because, I mean, there's a chance the Mavericks don't make the playoffs despite sitting happy in the eighth seed at the moment. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. All right, Jaron, so getting into that first one, the Mavericks actually had some decent fight throughout that first game. It was not a game in which Tim Hardaway Jr. or Christian Wood were missing yet. And Tim Hardaway Jr. actually had a really good shooting performance. And the Mavericks, you know, they, they fought tooth and nail against a, you know, even though John Morant is currently not playing, he's actually slated to, he's not going to return against the Mavericks on Monday, but his eight game suspension is over and he is going to be steadfast in his recovery as he ramps up towards the playoffs per Adrian Wojnarowski and Sham Sharania. So we obviously got all the reports about that today. So luckily he was not playing in both these two games, but unluckily for the Mavericks, they still lost them. So it doesn't really matter. Um, And they very well could probably lose again on Monday night, even if he, even though he's probably not going to play 
But I thought in this first game, they were able to ready the storm a little bit more. You know, as we talked about in that other podcast in the Spurs game, uh, I thought Josh Green and Jaden Hardy uh, really typified uh, that sort of stability factor with Luca and Kyrie out. I, I thought that this was honestly their best game together. If we're looking at this sort of three game stretch so far that Luca and Kyrie has been out um, where they, they Josh Green just and Jaden Hardy for that matter, just did a little bit better of a job um, in terms of their, their ability to run the offense. It didn't look as chaotic at times. Uh, the Mavericks definitely were looking for offense at times and they only played Christian Wood 15 minutes in this one, which, uh, it was sort of an odd play by Jason Kidd, as we kind of allude to that in that other podcast. But nonetheless, um, they, you know, sort of just kind of went back and forth with the Grizzlies all game, had a really good third quarter. Uh, but in that uh, fourth quarter, the Grizzlies really uh, pushed the envelope in terms of their pace of play. You know, despite it not being necessarily the best Jaron Jackson Jr. game in either of these games, Um the Mavericks were getting pretty outworked on the glass. They only had, well, they had 43 rebounds in this one, contrary to the Grizzlies having 45, but um, the Grizzlies had 11. Well, I'm kind of just <laughs> basically uh, redundant speaking right now because the Mavericks had very similar rebounding numbers, but it often at times looked like Xavier Tillman was like really eating them up on the glass. And the Mavericks were just at a sincere size disadvantage in these two games um, with the Grizzlies. You know, we're, we're not talking about uh, Dominic Barlow or, you know, uh, Sandro Mamukashvili. You know, we're talking about, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. and Xavier Tillman. And they, they were able to put pressure on the rim. And, you know, at the other side of things, in both of these games, they were, you know, having started Xavier Tillman amidst the, you know, sort of conglomerate of injuries that the Grizzlies have in their front court with Adams and Clark out. Um, he, he's paying dividends. I mean, he's a bigger guy, but he, when he plays the four on defense and you have basically the either best or second best rim protector in the league uh, to, you know, behind him, he, he's a very capable guy that can defend fours and has good strength and lateral quickness. And that was giving the Mavericks some woes in this one. And Desmond Bain, uh, his shooting and ability to get to the rim was definitely hurting the Mavericks in this one. Uh, it seemed as almost a, at, a, at a moment's notice, he was able to kind of blow by anybody he wanted. Uh, Tyus Jones didn't have the best game in this one, but uh, nor did Dylan Brooks, of course, as I kind of alluded to at the beginning of the podcast. But the big guy who really went off, of course, um, and big, I mean, like actually big uh, physically as well, was David Roddy in that fourth quarter, uh, just kind of filling in the gaps in whichever way required, whether it was running the floor in transition, um, you know, guarding the Mavericks best players time and time again. He did a really good job on Josh Green and Jaden Hardy in this one. Uh, had a few steals and was able to get some transition buckets. Uh, just served as a great outlet uh, whenever there's any sort of drive and kick action for the Grizzlies. Made four out of his seven threes. And, you know, he was getting some offense. He had, like, an offensive rebound, a few rebounds down the stretch uh, where he was able to get shots back up. And, I mean, he, he really just was able to sort of carry the tide over for the Grizzlies in that one. And, uh, the Mavericks just simply didn't have enough offensive firepower. But, I mean, I honestly thought they didn't play too terribly defensively in this one. Um, they did a good job of limiting Jaron Jackson Jr. He, I mean, you can kind of attribute it to him having just an off game as well. But it, it was definitely better than the second game, which I'll let you go over the second game since I obviously kind of talked about the first game there. How, how did the Mavericks sort of fall short in that second one? Because it was a lot more decisively, and the Grizzlies definitely – uh, sort of planted their foot as a much more talented roster in that second game, even despite both of these teams missing their best players with Jaw out for the Grizzlies and Luka and Kyrie out for the Mavericks. Yeah, I mean, throughout the first half, this one felt kind of similar. I didn't watch the first game, but this one felt similar to the first game in the sense that, you know, it was kind of a back and forth battle throughout this one. I want to say it was like 51 to 50 going into halftime. Um, and, you know, this was, you know, one where, it definitely felt winnable for the Mavericks because, you know, they definitely put didn't put their best, you know, offensive talent or, you know, offensive production out on the floor, even though I or actually Tim Hardaway was playing. This is where he got no, hurt. Tim Hardaway I, got hurt in this one. So he, yeah, only in this played, one, yeah. he played 28 minutes, but he was uh, kind of brittle down the stretch. And yeah, exactly, he definitely yeah. felt things were affecting him. And he ended up going about uh, going out eventually. And Christian Wood did not play in this one. So they didn't have that outlet to go to in that Spurs game, as we just saw um, like they did, you know, obviously last night. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but as the game kind of waned on, you know, this is where we saw really 
honestly, I mean, there's no better way to put it, but the talent distribution between the Grizzlies and Mavericks kind of wave on. Um, you know, again, Christian Wood and Tim Hardaway Jr., who were probably the two best or two most offensive producing guys, um, you know, with Kyrie and Luca out. Uh, of course, Jane Hardy and Josh Green picked up the pace a little bit throughout that game, but yeah, this was probably Josh cool. Green's best game amidst this stretch. Uh, Jaden Hardy, yeah. he had a rougher shooting game, of course, but I mean, he still definitely took the tie of the offense throughout big stretches in this game. He he just couldn't really find his shot, and that's what really hurt the Mavericks. Well, that's, yeah, that's yeah, exactly know, they, they couldn't, they just didn't have any offensive, you know, production to be able to match the Grizzlies. And uh, I mean, conversely, yes, the Grizzlies didn't, you know, without Jaws at remediating factor to run their offense you can definitely tell that they suffered a little bit uh especially i don't think um you know desmond bain for instance in this one he uh definitely kind of came back to earth a little bit you know he's seven for 13 but it, it just wasn't as dominant in that first one even david roddy had a great game off the bench but uh the grizzlies you can just see the sort of stark contrast between the mavericks one dimensionality of their role players versus the grizzlies I mean, I know I memed on Dylan Brooks in that first segment, but he had a decent game here. Like, they got, like, three guys that are, yes, like, I mean, three and D players, but they're also, you know, able to attack off closeouts consistently and create their own offense and spurts when star players are out. And, you know, it's not something that you can look to in a playoff stretch, but against some lackluster defense that the Mavericks play, like, they can actually do things like that. And, the, you know, David Roddy, Dylan Brooks, as well as um, – as well as – Desmond Bain in this one all just, you know, really typified the, you know, just non-one-dimensionality that the Grizzlies have versus the Mavericks and, and their ability to, you know, bring this home with their defense as well as their uh, creation and, you know, their ability to shoot. And, I mean, they, they were making a lot of shots in this one. I think the Grizzlies ended up finishing 12 for – oh, they did finish 12 for 37 from three, but uh, the, they were getting a lot of shots up and they just put a lot of pressure on the rim. And, the, I mean, it wasn't even a terrible defensive game for the Mavericks. They kind of were benefactors of the Grizzlies uh, not having Jaw out there to run the stampede because um, they, they just didn't get as much open looks. But on the other side of things, Mavericks just, you know, couldn't find their footing offensively um, outside of, you know, Josh Green having a really good game, who I thought for whatever reason, you know, compared to this Spurs game that the Mavericks just played last night, looked a lot more in control in this one. Um, offensively and, you know, with his ability to play make. But, you know, without Christian Wood, without Tim Hardaway Jr., I mean, they just did not have enough offense to bring this one home. Yeah, I mean, I think that's putting it lightly. Like, um, really just, I guess, the roster, you know, management between Grizzlies was, you know, put on a tee and the roster mismanagement between the Mavericks just – wasn't enough. Um, I think that if you're looking at a big picture, that's probably the best excuse that you can make. Um, you know, Santi Aldama, uh, David Roddy, like these are all guys that this team drafted. And I mean, you look across the board at the Mavericks, what Josh Green, Jane Hardy. And I think that's honestly it between draft picks who played in this game. Um, was or was Maxi a draft pick? I can't remember. No, he was on uh, yeah, he was undrafted. Yeah, so I mean, if you're looking at it that way, like half this roster in the Grizzlies. I mean, they just drafted. have so much more young talent and yeah. young players that can produce compared to the Mavericks. I mean, Marquise Marquise Morris clocked some minutes in this one. Davis played 17 minutes. Justin Holiday had a pretty good game in this one. He knocked down a few threes, played good defense. But I mean, you just see the stark contrast of capable young players who, you know, are good to go all the time versus um, sort of you know decently capable veterans, but also have you know their even the, holes at this stage in their career yeah just the the one dimensionality of the Mavericks like yes Luca makes everyone better around him but he especially makes you know fringe rotational players look like star rotational players um I think if you stuck you know some of the guys that the Grizzlies are using as role players next to Luca like it would be completely different um but yeah I, I just think you know I know I'm trying to lean into the big picture for this but it it if there's two different, you know, roster builds and it, there's clearly one better standout and it's whoever won that night. And that was clearly the Grizzlies. So, yeah. Also on, on a lighter note, I kind of wanted to make fun of the fact that I remember in that first matchup where we went to that game early in the season versus the Grizzlies, we, the home opener. Yeah. Yeah. We memed on David Roddy, like quite a bit for 
you know, how big he was and how he couldn't defend Luca. But I mean, it's a tough ask for anybody to defend Luca. I mean, but his lateral quickness at his size uh, was really put on a premium and his ability to defend and um, cause havoc at the other end as well. So I, I did want to give a shout out to him because I mean, he combined for 41 points in two games. And I think that first game was a career high for him with 23. So he, he played a hell of a two, you know, two games there. I don't know if he is going to be able to, you know, play to that much of a premium uh, in terms of his output, because I mean, it seems as if the Grizzlies just have like three of those, just like, you know, big bodied ass three and D dudes who can also do a little bit of playmaking um, and shot creation with, with Brooks, Bain and uh, David Roddy. It just seems like that's just like 900 pounds bench pressed right there. But um, you know, nonetheless, they, they got some really capable cogs as they, um, in the rotation. And, you know, I know Brandon Clark's obviously out for the season. That's a tough blow, but you know, if they can get Steven Adams back here down the stretch and get draw back, if they're able to sort of shift the tide, they will be really scary come playoff time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of people would call that or like label them off as, you know, just, you know, being good at the right time, but uh, that's a team that, you know, given the talent back and especially Steven Adams coming back and being healthy, like that's a team that, me personally, I think that they contend for a title um, and they'll be stuck in that yeah. two to three spot. If Jock can get his footing back before the playoffs. Yeah, if he can, yeah. Because, I mean, um, he, he, as long as he just gets, you know, a certain sample size, he should be decent. But, yeah, and I know, you know, I know Brandon Clark's a big blow and, you know, the whole torn Achilles. But I think Aldama sort of provides what Clark does in a different sense. I mean, he's a decent roller, but he's also a huge pick and pop threat. And they're they're fairly comparable defensively, so um they they just have a lot of depth it's not like the Mavericks would even like if they had Brandon Clark in their rotation they would not even have a guy to sort of back up that position you know like the Grizzlies you know we talk about the Mavericks in terms of guards wings and centers and I know that's the modern NBA sort of uh at a premium of course but but the Grizzlies like they have so much depth that you have to like get intricate and be like oh who's playing this position you know Xavier Tillman he's more of a four or Aldama you know you have Stephen Adams and I just wish we had that luxury. It makes me sad looking at these games. And that's why, you know, we're not going to dial in on these games too much. We're going to look a little bit more big picture, you know, before we get into the Jason Kidd uh, discourse, which I'm sure is what, if anybody's listening to this podcast, which I don't presume a lot of you, you guys are given that we just had the Spurs game. um, You're probably listening for uh, us to go off on Jason Kidd, uh, which will come here in a second, but (laughs) Nonetheless, I just want to get into the fact that obviously Luca, you know, has this thigh contusion or whatever it is right now. Kyrie with the, the right foot soreness. It looked very grim the other day when the Mavericks were a game under 500. Uh, I was calling on Twitter for everybody to keep growing the beards until they got back over 500 or back to 500. So, um, you know, I, I know Jaron is a very stylistic man, so he, he wouldn't shave uh, regardless, but. The Mavericks are finally, you know, back at the midpoint of being at 500. Um, but this was definitely the low point of the season. I don't even know, like, barring really the first few games of the season, if we've been under 500. Well, what what have you got from just this recent, like, 15 games of the Mavericks, really since All-Star break? They've lost nine of their last 13. Um, the other day before this Spurs game, which we kind of denoted in that podcast, if you guys haven't listened to it, go check it out. Um, at mainstream Mavs underscore or mainstream underscore Mavs on Twitter. If you guys want to go, you can find all our links to our podcast and stuff there. Um, but if you want to listen to that, we, we kind of denoted that Spurs game is probably one of the more ugly losses of the season. And I, I definitely don't think that it was a sort of like cure all for anything that happened in these two Grizzlies games. If these injuries persist with Kyrie and Luca and, you know, I do want to make sure they're healthy because the way Luca was kind of laboring there, you know, I, I'd rather the, them go healthy into the play-in and it give the better the Mavericks a better chance than them go injury-riddled, um, you know, as the sixth or fifth seed or something like that. Um, but as we move along down the stretch here, do you think the Mavericks are going to be able to first get out of the play-in and second off, given these injuries to Kyrie and Luka, how much is that going to hamper them as they, you know, go down with these last 12 games of the season here? Yeah, I mean, I think that these are, you know, legit questions to ask. 
I think in terms of all of the play-in teams at this current moment, I would probably put the Mavericks as the best team in that play-in spot. Um, now, not really? saying you that put the Mavericks as the best team in that playoffs in the play-in spot. Out of the seven through ten, I mean. Okay. I'm, all right. Go ahead. Well, here, let me. Yeah, I just wanted you to bring it up because I saw. When yeah, you, I when was, you start looking at the standings, it. I mean, there's I mean, some, there's some right now, uh, cause for concern regarding the oh, maybe yeah. the, the Timberwolves or. I mean, the Pelicans, I still think, are in the play on, playoff echelon because they're only a half game back out of 10th. And, you know, if Zion comes back, I mean, they, they could easily make a late-season push. But So I don't know if I would say they're the best. I, I would probably go with the Pelicans if they get healthy, I guess. Um, but otherwise, um, and then I guess it's very dependent on when Towns comes back for the Timberwolves. So they're, they're one of the best, but they're still in a very scary position. Like, look, I, I think the brightest future out of all these four teams lies – in Dallas, just because you know, Kyrie. I, I think we got to. I think we got to open it up to six, Jaron. I think we got to open it up to. Okay, well, if Pelican we're opening up Jazz, because they're right like, there. Yeah, I mean, like, look, like, but even still, I still think that's the best. Dallas is the best team. You think like, they have the brightest future out of all six of those? Oh, teams? Not, I'm not saying like future. I'm just saying oh, okay. like brightest to make it out of the play-in. That's what I'm saying. Okay, or like become a seven or easy. That's fair enough. Um, like, look, like. Yes, the Timberwolves, they're kind of like in the same boat that we're in is where we're trying to rely on, you know, injuries to come back, injury guys to come back. And that's Kyrie and Luca, of course. Um, same with the Lakers, same with the Pelicans. Like basically every team in this playing spot is kind of relying on <clears throat> some sort of injury player guy to come back. Except um, the boys up in OKC and Bricktown. Yeah, but they're I mean, I'm not gonna lie, they they're kind of they're kind of scary. I'm not gonna lie, but yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but like needless to say. If you can get Kyrie back, if you can get Luca back, I don't care what playoff series you're in. You give yourself a chance just with that automatically. Now, hold back. I know you're probably saying something. Um, but anyways, I there's, you know, very grim discussion. And I'm trying to bring this back because I know the Spurs game uh, and the Lakers loss and Grizzly or, and uh, Timberwolves loss kind of, you know, shined a little bit of brightness into this very dark, grim room that we're in um but even still it's very dark um I, i'm trying to just like see what this team like you have a situation where i'm getting very big picture here, but you have a situation where you have a top five player in the league and a top 25 player in the league i don't get how you fuck this up but they fuck it up time and time and time fucking again so i hate to go off on a tangent there close your ears little kids but um this this is one where you shouldn't even be in this position, and yet they are. And I mean, yeah, I, I had to go off on a little tangent there, but um, yeah, I I still think you know if you can give yourself a chance in the play the playoffs, um, you know, with Luca and Kyrie on your roster, you can at least compete with the Grizzlies and at least compete with the Kings. Anybody else in that Western Conference standings, I really don't think can compete with. Yeah, just given the obvious holes of this Mavericks team, and Jaron, would you like to highlight the holes? At the Mavericks, because you, oh, you yeah. noted them that they f this up. What what are the holes of this team that they didn't address at the trade deadline after the Kyrie trade, where they kind of needed to make another move? I mean, they can still do it this off season, but that's also banking on Kyrie resigning and you know his ever volatile happiness, which could definitely be can be conducive to how the Mavericks fare down the stretch. You know, if he sees them, they don't even make the play in or something like that. It, it's just a situation he even wants to come back to. There's obviously a lot of questions that persist there. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on just what are the Mavericks blatant holes right now that they obviously can't address really this season, not even with any buyout guys that it does it, that ship has kind of sailed there. It doesn't really even seem like they're going to do anything else in that department. What are their obvious holes that did not address at the trade deadline that you, that caused you to say that they F this up and, how has that contributed contrib contributed to them losing games over this last recent stretch since the All-Star break? I mean, like these two recent games against Grizzlies are honestly a really good, you know, reason, or I guess a really good just, you know, example of why this team is yet again, you know, malpractice. It's because, you know, you look at uh, the Grizzlies roster, they have multiple guys off the bench for that matter that can do multiple different things. The Mavericks team or this Mavericks team, you know, is so one-dimensional that, I mean, at times, like, 
you almost cringe if you see Reggie Bullock dribble. Like there, there's times where you see, you know, guys who don't dribble probably, you know, one out of every five games they get to dribble. I mean, with Matt, even with like, especially with Maxi right now, like yeah. the inhibitions on his athleticism, it makes him like extremely one dimensional as well. Exactly. And it's just like this, you know, as one dimensional as it gets in the NBA is basically the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I think that if you're going to, uh, and, and again, like there's really nothing you can do in this off season. I know we're trying not to look like in the future or anything or how to like, I mean, there is, they, they have to make trades and they, they, they have to, case. they have to, yeah, they have to make trades. Um, but if you're going to solve the one dimensional problem, like there's really nobody that you can pick up on the free agency block to solve that problem. Yeah. Free agency wise, uh, unless Kyrie leaves, the Mavericks are definitely stuck in a sense. Um, but all, also, you know, given the, you know, I know you talk about the one dimension dimensional aspect offensively. I do, I do think that that's a big contributor, but I, I think the even larger issue here, of course, especially with Kyrie and Luca's inclusion, because you can kind of remediate some of those woes with your role players, not, you know, being relegated to just strict three and D guys at times when you have those two on the floor. Um, but I, I mean, if I had to diagnose three biggest problems on the Mavericks team right now, uh, first off, I would probably rank perimeter defense. Uh, second off, I would probably rank interior defense. And then third off, I would probably rank the mismanagement of the Christian Wood situation. So yes. I think I would like you to go through all three of those points and sort of just diagnose your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, like, look, like the perimeter defense, I think that pretty much speaks for itself. And it's not uh, as if the Mavericks, they there are teams that have a lot better personnel um, yeah. in terms of their perimeter defense, but it's not as deal-breaking as how bad the Mavericks, you know, rim protection is. Their, their rim protection is a lot more limited personnel-wise, but we've seen over these last few games that the perimeter defense has almost been worse than the rim protection at times, and it, I, I feel like has some of that has to be just attributed to effort and how guys are competing on that end. Um, because I, I don't know where it's just kind of a stark contrast compared to earlier in the season. I mean, we talked about it in that Spurs podcast where we saw Josh Green, guys like that, just being a lot more stout defensively. And I know Dorian left, and that's a huge deal uh, in terms of the perimeter defense. That obviously matters a lot, of course, him leaving in that trade. But it, it, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they're getting enough juice out of, you know, Josh Green, Reggie Bullock, McKinley Wright, and you know Justin Holiday. He plays decent when he's in there, but he doesn't get enough minutes. Like Max, he's not as uh, he's a little bit more slow-footed after the injury. It, I don't know. I just think that you know Luca, especially as injury riddled as he as he was before he was you know officially announced out, his defense was terrible. I mean Kyrie is probably one of the better defenders on the team. It, it just seems as if there's like almost like rotational effort, you know issues at times, like there seems as if there's a lot of team issues that persist there. Like guys aren't helping when they're supposed to, um, they, they're not making the right switches. Like it almost just like barring just the personnel, which I, I would probably say is average. If you run across the NBA and look at other teams, perimeter defense, this team just doesn't have that synchronization of their team defense that they had last year that led them to that top five defense in the Western conference finals. Yeah. I think if you're looking at the perimeter defense, to me, it's more of a team aspect. I'm not looking at an individual aspect. I think Josh Green, I think Reggie Bullock, uh, Justin Holiday, like those are all feasible defenders. Those are all guys that you can rely on the defensive side of things. Um, but even still as a team, like they're still, you know, finishing, you know, almost last in every matchup uh, that they're having to play against on that side of things. I, I think that just sort of speaks to, you know, I don't want to say coaching just to, you know, sort of rub salt in the wound. But I think at the end of the day, it kind of falls at least some a of it. A little bit on kid just to get the guys, you know, you know, ready and up to the par, you know, of, yeah, of exactly. course, and just yeah. to get the team defense more synchronized. But it also does line the players, of course, to carry that burden as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, oftentimes whenever we see a bad perimeter defense, we'll see a bad interior defense. Because uh, yeah, they get put in bad positions like, by virtue. Yeah, you put yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's what I was trying you're to make. You're already but... working with very limited personnel, yeah. especially with Maxi just coming back from injury. Yeah, exactly. He's um, already having to, you know, carry the burden of having to be that switchable guy who 
I mean, that, that's a luxury to have, but, you know, he's already having to defend the perimeter as well as defend the, you know, interior on multiple possession, you know, on the same possession throughout multiple times in the game. And, you know, that's just a burden or, you know, with better personnel, of course, you wouldn't have to necessarily do that, but with him coming off injury, that's just a very tough ask. And we've seen it kind of culminate and start to eat up at him as he gets later in games here. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I think that that's as far as the perimeter defense goes, it's not as personnel based. The rim protection, I think is a lot more personnel based. Uh, I just want to get your thoughts on that. And the just sort of big man rotation when the Mavericks do play those two big, you know, those two big man lineups, does the, Rim protection look better, um, depending on you know if it's Wood Maxi or Wooden Powell or just a lone big out there, and do, you know should Javale play more? Do they even have the wherewithal to have good rim protection this year? Like, what are your overarching thoughts on that? I mean, I'm gonna say it here. I just don't really think that this team has the ability to even, you know, sniff a top 15 in terms of interior defense. I just don't think that they have the personnel to do so. To do so. Um, even if you play JaVale McGee in the most prime positioned role, you know, one where we saw or where we thought we would see him at the beginning of the season. So you're saying if we got JaVale, like Phoenix Suns JaVale? I, I, you know, it would definitely improve, but I still don't think that. You Maybe know, if you get to see, average then. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, with the personnel. Because he couldn't given, play enough minutes to. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the personnel that we're given, you know, an injury riddled Maxi Kleba. Dwight Powell, you know, we know what he can, what his depletions are and what his holes are on defense. Christian Wood, I mean, kid refuses to play him. Uh, and JaVale McGee, again, you know, you can't play him. Uh, and I mean, Christian just, Wood, it's like we've talked about his defense at nauseum. It's like he's good as a freelancer. You know, he has the ability to switch on to, you know, not the opposing team's best perimeter uh, point of attack guys. But at the same time, I mean, he's still, you know, not – He's definitely not, you know, a top 15 rim protector in the league or anything like that. He's he's okay as the lone big, I guess, kind of depending on the game, of course. But you know, he's best optimized in those, those two-man lineups. But, you know, if it's with Powell, you're just going to concede a lot at the rim just with Powell there. And if it's with Maxi, you're relying on, you know, how much has Na- Maxi's hamstring recovered and – it just kind of is a game to game thing. And I mean, I'm not even, I would still rank Maxi as the Mavericks best big man defender. If I had to go number two, I'd probably roll with wood. Uh, just, just based on the last few games, if you would ask me a week ago, I probably would have said Powell cause his team defense was better and wood woods individual defense was a little bit worse, but he's kind of up in the empty here is up in the ante as we go down the stretch here. But I mean, those two are kind of neck and neck from that aspect. And then, you know, what JaVale's done this year, I'd have to put him last, but it's just, uh, you know, a tough-ass personnel guys to expect all of those guys to, you know, really come in and fortify the back end uh, night in and night out. Yeah, I mean, that, that's – I think that's putting it lightly. Like, I think that we pretty much nailed the head on that. Um, what was your third thing? Um, the mismanagement of the Christian Wood situation. Yeah, yeah, that's just something that, you know, a distraction that you really don't need. Um I can't remember the last time that we saw, you know, such a disgruntled or yeah, I guess disgruntled is the best it's probably way. Probably Nerlens. Yeah, like Nerlens Noel, I think is the last time we saw this, but even still, like Nerlens Noel was nowhere near this talent. Um, you know, Christian Wood can give you I think I think Nerlens definitely had potential like, in a different way. I yeah, mean, obviously as a rim protector, yeah. uh he was a lot more skilled and you know, he's probably a better rim runner as well um maybe even a better rebounder i don't know i I probably know he's probably yeah i was like i don't know about rebounding but yeah but um i mean the nerland's situation is just a stark contrast though because he wasn't getting played because of you know him taking the qualifying offer and the 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 mavericks offered him like a four-year 70 million dollar deal and you know the whole situation with his agent him refusing that 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 was just a mismanagement on his part the Mavericks have mismanaged Christian Wood on their part yeah oh yeah I guess that's yeah you put it in a good way yeah like this is you know from a franchise a failure um and you, doing it you traded for this guy yeah exactly you traded for him um you know this was one where you advertised as you know going into the season it was going to be this crazy duo between him and Luca 
Um, and, you know, we all knew that it would need some work, but we just haven't seen anything near that. Um, at glimpses, we've seen, you know, the, the, you know, them work off each other, whatever, but even still, like from a franchise perspective, like you're doing this guy a disservice, it's a contract year for him. I understand if you're, you know, trying to get the best value out of him, but this is pretty much choking this guy's career just to get like, you know, make his contract 10 million less a year. Like, I, I understand yeah, well, it. With some of the rumors out there, I, we don't want to be too accusatory. Okay, but, yeah, but the, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like the most logistical sort of aspect that I've heard is that you know they're they're kind of seating him down and grooming him for, I, I guess you can call it a worse contract. Yeah, um, which you know, I mean, it's just not optimizing your team or the amount of wins or anything. And I, especially I, just, for this year, if, like, if that is the case, that is a very cheap tactic by the front office and. You know, all the players involved there are Jason Kidd, Nico Harrison, Mark Cuban. Um, but other than that, I mean, we talked a lot in the Spurs podcast, kind of post game, just about, you know, the sort of, you know, because I know that there's still a lot of, you know, competing interest in terms of, you know, who, what is the optimal rotation of the Mavericks big men. And you can guys can go listen to the Spurs Um podcast for that i've obviously i'm a little bit more differential to christian wood than some out there but i can still see the gripes of the other side but i think we can all agree like bottom line that he should still at least get more than 10 to 15 minutes a game you know if he shouldn't and if the mavericks think that he shouldn't then this is not a caliber of player that they should have traded for last june or you know even if it was a late a late first round pick give up a first round pick for yeah, I mean, you know, I would have to agree with basically everything you said, um, just from, you know, a franchise perspective, like, uh, especially this year, you know, there's no guarantee for next year. There's no guarantee that Kyrie's coming back. Like, I think the smartest option would be optimizing your team's ability at ad nauseum this year, but it seems like they're putting that on hold um, and they'd rather, you know, risk a future asset or even the future as a whole for this yeah, franchise man. just to seat him down and, yeah like I said and I mean the point that you made is very logical because like if it was just a value play and they really didn't like his fit like they would have probably tried to attempt to trade him at the deadline heavier or maybe there was just no market for him I mean I don't know but I mean you're just doing him a serve a disservice by if you were if this is you know your real thoughts and feelings on him should trade him at the deadline and, I mean, we'll see how it goes as the season sort of trashes along here. Uh, but right now the situation is is definitely um, a, a, cha a chaotic bad in Dallas in terms of the mismanagement of the Christian Wood situation. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, Jaron, do you, like, have any other remaining thoughts on how the franchise has mismanaged Christian Wood's uh, playing time and, you know, bringing him in after, you know, in June last year at the, at the uh, time of the draft? I mean, other than honestly kind of looking like this franchise honestly turned themselves, you know, it, it looks like they're trying to look as or like for a scapegoat as if like, you know, this isn't our fault, but they're kind of turning it into a, a fault that's only their own. Um, I guess that's the best way to put it. But that, yeah. I, I mean, really even if the that. story that you are the sort of logical explanation for why Christian Wood may not be receiving minutes i mean even if that's what the mavericks are going for it it just runs the risk of him obviously not being happy and i mean i know there's not a lot of suitors in free agency but anybody can, can create cap space and I mean, he may not be the most highly touted guy in the market especially with his defensive limitations but i mean i'm sure if the situation is as bad as it seems he's liked a few instagram posts and things of that nature uh sort of connotating that the, he's been mistreated by the Mavericks staff just in terms of you know, how they've operated with his playing time and things of that nature, you know, th that guy would definitely see the door at a moment's notice, even if it maybe meant that he, you know, wasn't getting as much money as he could potentially could. I mean, th this, this whole situation is just screwed up and the Mavericks are doing a disservice to all the players involved by, by virtue of it. Even, you know, you can be in the anti-wood camp or the wood camp in terms of, his fit with the team and how you view it. But at the end of the day, you can't deny that it's been malpracticed by the Mavericks front office in terms of how they manage the situation. Uh, but barring that, I guess we'll go ahead and get into the 
Jason Kidd stuff. I guess we won't go like quote for quote because there's just been kind of too many quotes that have sort of came out over the last week or so with some of these tough losses that the Mavericks uh, have lost nine out of their last 13. But there's just been a sort of general sense of apathy, at least to the media. I don't know how he operates with his team, but there's been a general sense of apathy and lack of sense of urgency from Jason Kidd with a lot of these quotes. And if he's kind of just a keen observer like the rest of us and he's letting his team just go out there and do whatever. And as if he just has no control over the situation, uh, what do you go to think about Jason Kidd's sort of lack of accountability amidst these last couple of weeks, at least in terms of his post-game comments? Yeah. I mean, I hope what he says is only, you know, sort of picking and joking I hope that's what it is because it seems like he finds humor in it um which I mean if so good for you go ahead you know but we're not seeing the results uh like if we were seeing results and he was doing this it'd be a different discussion but outside of that I mean this is a guy you know we've seen his struggles through history in like year two because everyone says just wait for year two year two Christian uh year two Jason Kidd uh, it kind of seems like we're getting a full circle moment right now. Um, and I mean, I can I, like, I don't know what how you would surmise it, but I would say in one word, it's very immature, I guess. Um, it, it's just not, you know, as a leader of a team, as a coach of a team, you know, you expect to take accountability of things that may not even be your fault. Uh, you know, just at a professional level, you try and be professional. We haven't since or we haven't really even seen professionalism put on a tee, um, at least for this last few weeks, you know, in this recent really bad stretch of Dallas Maverick basketball. But um, uh, just on the the court sort of like my gripe, uh, I think that this team just as a whole, I know in the Spurs game, I mentioned the offense not having an identity with Luca and Kyrie out, but just as a whole, like this team really doesn't have an identity outside of Luca. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, don't think- it seems as if the rotation fluctuates a lot and, Kid yeah. has not found a stable rotation to go to. Exactly. I, I get that he's not like I've I've said this a lot of times. He's not dealing with the best playing cards here, but at the same time, it just doesn't seem as if there's been one point in this season where he's truly optimized the rotation. Um, maybe it's because we're just being Twitter coaches, as he has denoted us, and you know all that sort of stuff, but. I think at the end of the day, it's just really odd that he, you know, just hasn't found a stable rotation amidst this many games into the season, or at least one that works like fairly consistently. It almost seems that the Mavericks are having to go to different lineups throughout different stretches, different amounts of times. And um, just the inconsistency of a lot of guys spots on this team and the weirdness of some of the decisions he makes is just very erratic and uh, it can times can be very airness for the Mavericks. So uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that from an on-court perspective, how he has operated really throughout the, these uh, 70 games of this season, of course, uh, because, you know, I, I don't think like there's ever been a sort of mismanagement with how he's used Kyrie and Luca or anything like that, or any like thing big with any of the star players, but in terms of the role players, it just seems as if their roles fluctuate quite a bit on this team. And it's, uh, and there's just been no sort of sense of ability and sort of sense of stability. And through 70 games, I mean, obviously we talked about the Christian Wood situation. He's the most mismanaged, but even guys like Josh Green at times, have had their spot revoked just because they got hurt for like a game or two, you know, incorporating Maxi, you know, Dwight Powell just being DNP CD'd at the beginning of the season. Now's a you know seamless part of the tr- rotation. I mean, I don't know who exactly that falls on. Um, you know, Justin Holiday being placed in a bigger role. Should we see more Markeith Morris minutes? It's like Jason Kidd tries all this different stuff out, yet we don't even see him try out some of the things that we would, you know, earnestly hope for him to try. And, you know, maybe we don't have all the solutions at our hand either. Maybe, you know, we don't know as much as an NBA head coach, but at the same time, the results speak for themselves. And regardless of if we know more or if he knows more, at the end of the day, he has not optimized the rotation clearly throughout the first 70 games or else the Mavericks would have probably uh, at least marginally better results right now. Yeah, I mean, for a team that made the Western Conference Finals last year and made, you know, 
an amazing push at a championship run last year. Uh, to have 12 games left in the season and there to be so many different questions, um, I mean, it's really discouraging. It's really alarming. Uh, there seems to be zero alarming or zero concern in the you know books of the head coach in Dallas. But nonetheless, I mean, you know, we're stuck in this situation. It seems like through the next 12 games, he's denoted the the starting or he's denoted the regular season as sort of a dress rehearsal. And, you know, whenever we come into the playoffs, we'll see the actual, you know, numbers and we'll see the actual lineups uh, that work so well be put on the court. But my question is, you know, you're sitting at 35 and 35 right now, 12 games left. May not even make the play in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a chance you don't make the play in. Like you're sitting one and a half games back or, yeah, I think a game and a half back of, you know, the 11th spot where, again, you know, you're not going to make the playoffs um, or even give your team a chance to make the playoffs. But I figured, you know, there'd be a little desperate sort of um, spark in this team. And yet again, you know, especially in the Memphis games and even that San Antonio game last uh, last night, like I don't feel like we've seen a sense of urgency through this team. I don't know if that's them feeling that good about themselves that they're going to make the playoffs. They're not going to have this late season push that they've had to, you know, I guess be put themselves in. I don't know if they feel that confident or whatever it is, but there's there needs to be a sense of urgency uh you know 12 games isn't a whole lot in a sample size um yes these next 12 games are the most important um but you know for a 12 game stretch that if you want a guaranteed lock you pretty much have to go i don't know 10 and 2 i would say to to give yourself a good a good seating and a, a lock at home court out of the play in yeah yeah and especially out of the play in yeah um you need to go an incredible stretch and I don't know. I just don't see that on the horizon of the like that. Yeah. And I mean, just in terms of some of like the on-court logistics, like we're kind of, we just kind of scratched the surface of like the main problems, but I mean, just some of the late game situations where he's mismanaged the play calling there, as well as the defensive schematics, not being comparable to what they were last year with a very similar roster outside of Dorian Finney Smith. And, you know, you insert Josh Green, who's obviously playing that role a little bit more. So it's just odd from that perspective, and it's definitely been a downswing from the Jason Kidd uh, fan club on my end, at least. But where are you at in terms of your standing with how much you like him on this team? Do you think that do you think that this season is going to serve as a litmus test to you know how how much longer he's got with the Mavericks? Do you think that say the Mavericks go to the first round of the playoffs? that he saves himself like what how much job security does he have right now essentially yeah I mean I feel like there has to be some serious concern uh, like not concern but I feel like there has to be some serious discussion at the end of the season you know whether or not they make the the playoffs or even win a playoff series for that matter I still think that there needs to be some discussion uh I think you know as savvy as a business person that Cuban is, I feel like you want someone representing your team well and someone who represents your team as a professional. Um, and again, I mean, it's just not a good image to have, you know, someone that doesn't care. Uh, and not saying that kid doesn't care, but just through his post-game comments, it kind of gives off that sort of lick. It's just that he's yeah, not I mean, we, guy. As apathetic as he is towards the media, we obviously don't know if he operates that towards his team, yeah. but it, it's just a bad, a bad look, so... And I mean, there's obviously been some different on-court logistics and intricacies that we have gripes about. Um, but I mean, mainly the rotations in terms of the on-court stuff. So we'll have to see how that situation evolves, of course, over the coming weeks and months. And of course, how the Mavericks finish this regular season uh, is, is going to be extremely conducive to that. Um, I, I don't think that there's any sort of call to his job yet. But I mean, uh, for my if you know if I was running the team, if I was the owner, you know, I would have concerns. But I, I just don't know if the Mavericks themselves are there yet, I think that they're going to write out his legacy and all that sort of stuff and probably don't want to fire him from the backlash. It would come off too hard. I don't know. I, I just, I think that they'll end up writing it out unless things, you know, unless the Mavericks lose the next 12 games of the season or something just absurd. I would still think that and presume that he's probably the coach come uh, training camp next season, regardless of what happens. But I mean, uh, how how many how much more can you take? I don't know. We'll we'll see how much the Western Conference Finals run last year was a saving grace for him. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, if it, if I had my 
my pick of the, the lottery, essentially, I would definitely offer some other uh, head coaches in this league. But, you know, this is the situation that we're dealing with. So it is what it is. We Other than it. that, uh, amidst all this with the Mavericks losing, and, you know, we've kind of basically talked about all the reasons that they've went on this rough stretch, this all-star break, and they've been, you know, they've lost nine out of their last 13, all that sort of stuff. There's been some calls from fans, you know, with the Mavericks top 10 pick owed to the New York Knicks in 2023 for the Mavericks to potentially tank. Me personally, I don't think the Mavericks – should intentionally tank, but if it ends up sorting out that way and, you know, they either make one of those ninth or 10th seeds in the play and, and miss it, or I don't know exactly how that works with lottery ratings or anything like that. But I mean, if they're in the draft lottery and they have a shot, then, you know, I hope for the best. I, I just think that with Luca and Kyrie on your team, it's just too, you know, bad of an image to those guys to, you know, send that sort of message, especially in a contract year for Kyrie to tank this late in the season and, you know, just sell the ship. And I, I don't think they'll do that, but I mean, the longer that these injuries evolve over the next, you know, coming days and weeks, we, we may find out if they're actually tanking or not. Um, what do you think of the whole discourse around it? Uh, what do you think is the most optimal scenario for the Mavericks? And do you think they should tank? I think if you're looking at it from a future perspective, if there is a 100% guarantee that you'll either you know, be given your top 10 pick or no, listen, uh, they, so the draft lottery is obviously 14 teams. Yeah. And, you know, it's obviously all odds based. There's no certainties, but you know, yeah, I like that, that, that's a decent way to put it. Like if the Mavericks, I don't know if I necessarily would agree that I would want them to take in tank in any aspect, but you know, if, if they're going to, then, you know, start piling up the wins, the, the, the losses now, because, yeah, you know, that sort of jockeying within those uh, seating positions and things of that nature it, is huge. Like if the Mavericks had the 10th best odds compared to the 14th best odds, the odds that they would keep their pick would be insurmountable compared to, you know, if they just had the 14th best odds in the draft lottery, they probably would not still can concede it to New York. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if you aren't giving yourself a chance at having that top 10 pick, you're giving New York a chance at getting a better player. Um, I know that, you know, we don't play New York other than two times a year, but still, you don't want a team getting better. Outside of that, I think if you, you know, have a shot at the playoffs, which they clearly do, you have to go at it. But again, as you said, if these injuries keep persisting and these injuries become more and more serious and more and more of a problem, I, I say, you know, why not just deactivate, um, you know, Kyrie, if the injuries you know, are, yeah, season wide issue and they just can't get them healthy. And I mean, yeah, at that point, I'd be all in. Yeah. Um, and like, look, I don't mean to be this way, but from a future building and from a roster building perspective, it if would you probably could be get the, the right guy on draft. If you could keep Kyrie. Yeah. And you can keep Kyrie. Yes. He wouldn't get too then disgruntled at the fact that the Mavericks, I mean, if, if he was sitting out at the end, I don't know how much he would care specifically, but it, it's a really sticky situation to be in. Lastly, I kind of want to get your thoughts on the Kyrie Luca and Luca injuries themselves, not necessarily, you know, like future forecasting them, but is there any sort of like mark you think that if they only come back with this many games left, or if the injuries are this bad, then the Mavericks just simply won't be able to, you know, not just like recover to make the play in or playoffs, but if they do make the play in or playoffs, they just won't get enough, you know, they won't get enough of a ramp up to, to be to even like have any sort of fight in the play-in or the first round of the playoffs. Like what is your mark that you would say that the season is kind of lost at that point, even if Luca and Kyrie come back? I, you know, I'm going to say for Luca, I think as long as Luca comes back 100% healthy, you know, you can give yourself a chance at anything um, for Kyrie, you know, right foot suit uh or like this soreness whatever it is like I know it's more of just a, a play or at least it seems like it's more of just a play to you know sit him down for a little bit um I, mean, I don't know it seems like he genuinely has no it, some soreness. Like I'm not like, saying yeah I it didn't yeah. seem like it was an actual <clears throat> like I don't injury. think I, I, I don't know if they're actually tanking but you know some of the injury reports obviously have been you know semi-sketch yeah I, like look like I don't think that this is an injury that should sideline you for three games. That's my, 
question or my gripe, whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, in a um, contract year, like he, yeah, you want to be as healthy. He as doesn't possible. want to run the risk of getting hurt. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, I I do agree that I'd rather them, like I said, be like the tenth seed in the plan and have to climb their way up, um, and be fully healthy going into a first round series versus you know having that home court advantage or not. They wouldn't even get that. But if they were like the sixth seed, for instance, and avoid the play in somehow, uh, but it came at the risk of Kyrie or Luca getting re-hurt. I mean, I just don't think it's worth it. Like we're not in the playoffs yet. So I, I just don't know. I'd rather the guys be healthy, especially knowing that the Mavericks probably won't push for a title this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I would agree. Um, for Luca, I think, you know, whenever he feels 100% is whenever he should come back uh, because I don't, I'm going to be quite frank. I just don't think he's been 100% probably since before the all-star break. Um, and for Kyrie, you know, same kind of deal. If he's not 100%, I, I, you know, I think for Friday or for uh, Kyrie, like, I think Friday is a good sort of cutoff line. If he misses any more games than this Laker game. I would probably say the Grizzlies game. Yeah. Yeah. Friday or Monday. I, I don't know. It would just be kind of a little sus, I guess is the way, best way to put it. I don't yeah, know. If he misses. Game, yeah. Probably more than that Memphis game. I would. Definitely start to, but at the same time, we don't, we're not in these guys' bodies. We don't know exactly how they're feeling to, yeah, yeah. to, you know, give credence to their point. So it, it's a real, just weird situation. But, you know, our, our, our sort of brief summation is we do not, we're not calling for the Mavericks to tank. We want them to go as far as they can with this roster, even if we know that it's not going to lead to contention because we, you know, re- recognize the importance, especially when you have two superstars on your team that you have to try to win. But at the same time, if they are put in that position for whether just because of injuries or whether they just can't ramp it, ramp it up enough with these two guys and they come back too late in the regular season, or they just bear some unfortunate luck um, come playoff time. I mean, by all means, uh, what this is a loaded draft class, man. Let's see what we can find in the top 10. So, um, yeah. but I mean, otherwise, um, like you said at the beginning, you know, that Memphis and the Kings may be the only teams where we even stand a chance in the playoffs. I mean, even then, like, you're looking at some tough matchups where the Mavericks are probably severely overmatched. But, you know, with Kyrie and Luka back, you know, anything can happen. But I I, I think that just how, this se- just how this season has ended up, it's pretty clear that the Mavericks' holes are so – I think they're too prominent and they're too unavoidable for them to have any sort of Cinderella run. It, it wasn't like, I don't, I just don't get the, it wasn't like last year where they were steaming hot going into the playoffs. Like the, the Mavericks cap at this point, in my opinion, is a first round victory. And that's only if they're able to catch a very young Kings team off guard. And just cause it's their first playoff series and God knows how long they, they end up kind of just falling apart or if the Grizzlies aren't able to ramp up uh, with John time, but I mean, we're having to rely on like outside factors here. Like if we're just taking yeah. any of them, if the Mavericks, if we're taking them straight up against any of these teams, we'd probably say that they would lose. Would you, uh, I mean, in terms I of first round matchups, because they'd be going against anybody uh, probably in the top four seeds in that first round. Yeah. Anybody in the top four seed right now in this current Just, stand, just from a talent perspective would beat the Mavericks. Yeah. From a talent perspective, I don't think that they can compete in a seven game series. Now, the reason why I bring up Memphis and the reason why I bring up Sacramento is just because like from a, a talent like top talent perspective like Luca and Kyrie can beat I think the only teams that they can't beat are probably Golden State and Denver like I think those are, if you're looking yeah, at yeah but over seven games you know it's a lot harder with the defensive issues that persist on this team but I, I would say though just because of how young the Kings are that there could be some volatility there in the Grizzlies situation when draw right now is kind of screwed up even though he is on the horizon to return so we'll have to see how that situation uh kind of unfolds but nonetheless very much a, a grim darker podcast but you know it this is kind of what has been warranted just by the say of the team over the last uh just ever since the all-star break ever since the Kyrie trade let's hope things turn the tide for the best if that's getting a top 10 pick or if that is making some sort of run the playoffs to go with a little bit of momentum into this offseason as we enter Kyrie free agency saga uh but nonetheless it is a uh, it is a bad state of affairs over here at the Mainstream Mouse Podcast, but we will be with here with you guys here through thick and thin, and through the bad days, and the even worse days, and the great days because 
We don't fold. We're not bandwagoners. Um, but other than that, we will catch you guys in the next one. Make sure to check out our podcast that we released over the Spurs game. If you haven't done so already, there was some very good discourse regarding that game and how it unfolded. The whole Maxi Kleber situation at the end, but the Mavericks also pulling out in overtime. Christian Wood finally getting uh, his minutes ramped up a little bit. Go check that out. You can follow us at on Twitter at Mainstream underscore Mavs. You can subscribe to us and like and comment our video. If you're listening on YouTube, shout out to the YouTube gang. Comment. Will Kyrie Irving play Friday versus the Lakers? And if you guys are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure to um, give us a follow or a subscription, whatever I guess it warrants on whatever platform. Give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined and speak your mind if you hate Jaren's um, just egotisticalness and how much he's rizzed up with his hairstyle or you hate me wearing this robe because it's too cold in my house, let us know. But other than that, we will catch you guys in the next one. Mainstream Mavs signing out. Bye. Bye.